Amen and amen. This morning, as a community, we look to God. We sing, we pray, we read God's word, because in him and him alone there is life. He is the one we seek because he is the one that promises we will find him. That there is deep love that is seen best in the cross of Christ. It's why we sing, it's why we pray, it's and why we're going to sit under God's word in just a moment here. But before we get that, before we pray and do all those things, I want to remind you of a few things that are on the church family calendar. I don't know about how your family works, but but every week, Jocelyn and I try, emphasis on try, don't always succeed, to look at our family calendar and try to coordinate things, make sure that this guy doesn't plan things over the things that my wonderful organized wife has planned. So what I want to do is take a moment together now to point out what's on our church family calendar. So you guys can know what's going on and that we as a family can kind of sync up on what, what's coming up in this next month. The first thing that I want to point out is that we're having a baptism service two weeks from now, which means that today we're having a baptism class after the service. If you're a Christian here, if you've confessed and believed in Jesus as Lord and Savior and you have not been baptized, I want to encourage you to take that step of obedience. If you're wondering why or how or what this all means, I want to encourage you to come to that class. We're going to take some time to dive into scripture and we can answer any questions you might have about baptism. It doesn't mean that yet I'm in, but it doesn't mean that we'll get a chance to talk about why this matters. Um, So again, two weeks from now, we're having a baptism service right after the service in the cafeteria out to the right. We're going to be doing a baptism prep class if you want to come talk about baptism. The second thing I want to remind everyone is that we have groups that are starting up this fall. This is the last week for all you ladies who want to sign up for the women's Bible study to sign up at trivillagechurch.org slash groups. If you've already signed up, your books are all at the welcome desk. If you can pick them up on your way out, we're going to be studying and jumping into these books. But that's not all we have. Men, if you are, did men's Bible study this summer and you want to join back in, we're going to be starting up in October, a little bit later. But trust me, it'll be worth it. October 13th on Wednesday nights here at Awana. Um, if you want more information, just be on the lookout. The rest of this month, we'll be talking about it. And if you're interested in joining a life group, so we've got three kinds of group, men's, women's, and life groups. If you want to join a life group, please email us us at info at trivillagechurch.org and we'll get you more information. So baptism, groups, and then what's coming up this week on the family calendar. We have prayer night this Wednesday night. Everybody said amen. Amen. We have prayer night this Wednesday night. First one since uh, we've reopened after a pandemic. We're going to be praying here together at 7 p.m. at Awana. I want to encourage all of us to do that. It's something that we're trying to build out so that the family of God can be praying together. And so I want to encourage everybody to come to that. But it's also in anticipation of our five-year celebration this Sunday. And the people of God said, all right. Um, You've seen the signs. They're everywhere. I mean, you cannot miss them. I didn't plan them. That's awesome that they're everywhere. But I want you to take, a, a, take your phone out and scan the uh, QR code that's on there so you can RSVP for lunch uh, because we want to feed you. And if you don't tell us you're coming, I can't guarantee I can feed you, okay? So just let us know. We're going to celebrate in the service and out of the service. A lot of things I just talked about. Baptism, groups, prayer night, five-year celebration. They're all on the family calendar. If there's anything you have questions about, talk to Melissa Duncan. Talk to me. Bother anybody that knows what they're do- that looks like they know what they're doing, and we'll get you information. You can go on our website. Before I pray, I want to remind you that you can continue worshiping. We're gonna, we've been singing. We've been, uh, we're about to pray, but you can also worship by giving, by giving online at trivillagechurch.org slash give. We're on your way out of the service. Uh, there's multiple ways to, to worship this morning, and giving is one of those. But I want to pray this morning, and you know me and my long prayers. Um, this morning, as we pray, I don't want to ignore that this weekend marks the 20th anniversary of September 11th. And so as we pray together, I want to also pray for for first responders and medical workers. Remember their sacrifice 20 years ago and and pray for them now, even as they continue to serve on the front lines in the middle of this pandemic. And so I want to pray together. Would you guys pray with me? Gracious comforter, our good and merciful Father, this morning we come to you together as the people that you have made in order to be formed by and aligned to you in prayer. This morning before you, we remember the 20th anniversary of 9-11 this weekend and and the the terror and the horror of the destruction of that day. We remember and we feel the pain and brokenness of sin as your image bearers attacked your image bearers in hate and in anger. As we remember, we pray for those whose families are still feeling the loss of that day. And we pray for your comfort on this anniversary for all the victims including those who rushed in to help and gave up their lives for the sake of others and those who are still feeling the effects of injuries and things like that. 
Lord, we pray against the evil like we've been praying for weeks, thinking about Afghanistan as well, but, but the evil that prompted these attacks and still prompts attacks today through extremism and hate. We, we pray for your gospel to not just judge that evil and, and kind of looking to the day when you will judge everything and, and bring your justice, but even now that you would save those hearts that are bent on that evil, that you would turn them in repentance like you've turned our hearts. And Lord, we pray for your missionaries that are serving in these countries where this extremism is prevalent and pray that you would continue to use them to communicate the hope of the gospel, to participate in turning people from their sins by your spirit. This morning, we pray for all who continue to rush in to help like first responders did on that day 20 years ago. In this pandemic, we pray for doctors and nurses and paramedics and all first responders and medical workers who rush towards danger instead of away from it. Pray that you would continue to sustain them at this time. That you might give them strength and hope and rest in the middle of the chaos. That you would help them see in their work the calling to imitate you as one who rushes towards pain and danger and suffering instead of away from it. You would help all those who serve in these roles and call themselves Christian to see their calling as a calling to imitate the gospel, to imitate Jesus, who for our sake endured the cross and its shame. Give them wisdom and courage, empathy and strength to serve well in their various capacities, Father. We also pray in the middle of all this that you would comfort us as we navigate the complexities of unmet expectations in this season, of divisive opinions, of statistics that are not just numbers but people. Spouses and children and parents, image bearers, would you comfort us and calm us and enable us to imitate Jesus in being a comfort and a calm for others? Remind us of who we are in Christ, of who we are in Christ to each other. Shape us through the songs we sing, the times we pray where we unite our voices with your Holy Spirit, the moments we gather, the care we show in our serving. Shape us as gospel people, as familia in Christ. And even now, Lord, as we approach your word, Would you shape us as people who depend on your spirit and submit to what you have revealed to us in your word? We know that we need you. We pray that you would remind us this morning how much we need you. Assure us with the reality that you have met all of our needs in Christ. We believe, Lord, but as we come to your word, would you help our unbelief? And we pray this in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Well, this morning... We conclude our Dear Church sermon series where we've been focusing on Jesus' parables in the Gospel of Luke, looking at what Jesus calls us to as his kingdom citizens, what it is that should define us as citizens of God's kingdom. And these sermons, I have told you before, have been the content of my prayers for you as your pastor. And the reason they've been the content of my prayers is because this is what I believe that God has commanded us to be, among other things in all of Scripture, But I believe this is what God is working in us to be as a community, who God has saved us to be as his people, his kingdom citizens that live out the good news in a world that desperately needs that good news as much as we need that good news. And so we've been camping out in Jesus' parables, these stories told by the king, not just to entertain and be kind of fun and funny, but, but to provoke, to draw us in, to transform us with the gospel as his kingdom people. To quickly recap, since we're here at the end, the characteristics we looked at over the last few weeks, we've, we've studied the parable of the sower and the seeds, which provoked us to be people of the word. We've studied the parable of the lost sheep, coin, and two lost sons, which provoked us to be people of joy at repentance. We've studied the parable of two debtors, who provoked us to be people of worship. The parable of the good Samaritan, which provoked us to be people of mercy. The parable of the tower builder and the warring king, which provoked us to be people of true discipleship. And this morning, our final parable in this series is the parable of the the friend at midnight, which provokes us to be people of prayer. You can find the parable that I'm talking about in Luke 11, 1 through 13. So I'm going to encourage everyone to to turn in your Bibles to Luke 11. And if if you have your Bibles, go ahead and, and grab them. But if you don't, there's a cart in the back. You can grab one off that cart. If you don't even have a Bible at home, take one of those. I'll gladly buy more. That's our gift to you. And if you're joining us online, I do want to encourage you to open up your Bibles and participate in in this service together with us by by reading with us. So if you're there, why don't we stand so we read from God's Word, Luke 11, 1 through 13. People of God, would you listen to God's Word this morning? One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. 
Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. Friend, suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives The one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is God's word. You may be seated. Now I'm going to reveal a little bit of something about myself that you may not know. I'm a deep sleeper. And I know you don't care about that, but for the purpose of this illustration, you can pretend to care. I fall asleep very quickly, and I stay asleep all night. It is my superpower. My wife does not love it. When my superpower fails me, when my walking, talking, sweet, but wide-awake daughter sneaks into my room and makes her way to my side of the bed, silent as can be, so silent that I'm actually still sleeping, and that's precisely the moment she decides to start a conversation in the silence of our house as if, it's, as if we're sitting on the couch talking in the middle of the day. Daddy, can, I'm ready for the day. Can we go downstairs and get some chocolate milk, please? You can imagine the adrenaline that courses through my body in that moment when I freak out on the bed. And as I'm frustrated and, and calming down and still trying to get the cobwebs out of my mind, I stumble down the stairs while she skips to the living room, unaware, awake, unaware of my heart palpitations. My daughter doesn't calculate in her head whether or not she should wake up her dad, if she needs or even wants something. She's not trying to figure out the most ideal time to ask. All she knows is that she needs chocolate milk, and her dad can give it to her. In fact, her dad loves to give it to her, and so she asks. Some might even call that uh, shamelessly asking, but I don't call it that because my daughter never needs to be ashamed, never needs to be embarrassed or humiliated for asking her dad for something, even if it is midnight. In a radically upside-down way, this is the way that Christians are taught and encouraged by Jesus to pray. Like a child with their father. I'll confess that by far one of the things that I have struggled with most in my Christian life is prayer. I imagine if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you might know what I mean. Whenever anybody asks you about prayer, you, you, you say the same thing. I, 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 my prayer life could be better. Kind of embarrassed that we don't pray maybe often enough or, or long enough or, or with big enough or special enough words. Maybe like me, you've read books on prayer, heard sermons on prayer and left feeling heavier than when you started because you feel the guilt of a prayerless life. What if I told you this morning that in order to be a person of prayer, you don't need to figure out a better prayer schedule or a new prayer strategy to try, that you don't need to do more so that you feel less guilty about it? What if I told you that the deeper problem that you and I both have with prayer is not about ability, but desire? And that desire is not fixed by gritting our teeth and wanting it more, but by being recaptured with the beauty of Jesus. The good news of salvation, that that is what generates desire in us to pray. What if I told you that prayer is an exercise in the gospel, not in legalism? In our passage this morning, Jesus doesn't shy away from explaining how to pray and the mechanics of it, But he doesn't stop at explaining how to pray. He goes all the way into the why. You see, Jesus is not trying to make his disciples want to pray more. Jesus is trying to get his disciples to want God more. To see God truly, which will change everything about how they interact, how we interact with God. How we pray. The solution is not to pray more. The solution 
which I have made the main point of this sermon, is to pray like your family. To understand deeply what it means to be part of God's family and how that changes how we see God, how we interact with God. You see, Jesus teaches his disciples to pray like this. He gives them a model. He uses a parable to illustrate just how much our perspective needs to change and and center on being family. And then he drives that change home by by explaining just how mind-bending it is that God answers prayers and how he answers prayers when we see him as a good father. Pray like your family because it will change everything about the life of God that God makes available to us in the rhythm and the practice of prayer. So this is how I'm going to break down the text this morning, how we're going to get to that point, how I'm going to explain and submit to you my argument that we need to pray like we're family. We're going to start by focusing on Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer, and alongside disciples, we're going to learn to pray. But then we're going to enter into Jesus' story world, the parable, and see the contrast that he paints in order to encourage his disciples to trust the Father's heart. And then we're going to end with Jesus' object lesson, teaching his disciples that when we pray, we should expect a good answer. If we're going to pray like we're family, we need to learn to pray, trust the Father's heart, and expect a good answer. And we'll get to each one of those. Uh, So let me show you what I mean by starting, by bringing you into the scene at the beginning of our text, and sit with the disciples as they prepare to ask Jesus a question to learn to pray. Look at verse 1. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. You see, Jesus was doing what he normally did. right? What the disciples see him often, over and over again in the Gospels, doing. He was praying. They saw him do this so often that finally one of them was like, hey, can, can you teach us to pray? It's not an unusual request. I mean, they said it themselves. After all, John did the same with his disciples. He taught them how to pray. These disciples want to learn. And maybe they want to learn kind of like what they're saying, John, disciples. They want to learn some kind of special prayer from a special rabbi, kind of like a secret handshake for the 12 disciples. Or maybe they got a glimpse of just how important prayer was to Jesus, of just how much what he did was covered in, built upon, and coursing through with prayerful dependence on God, the Father. You see, for Jesus, and I would argue for our all of us as disciples, prayer is not just some, uh, a spiritual habit that we keep. It's not just a religious box we check. Prayer doesn't have some kind of magical powers or guarantee with the right combination of words that what we want will become reality. We believe prayer has some kind of power in and of itself, that if, if we just pray in the right way or do the right combination of moves, that we will somehow guarantee an outcome. We mistake prayer for spellcasting. TVC prayer is not witchcraft, as if adding in the name of Jesus at the end of it will guarantee what we just asked before it. One of the Puritans that John, John Bunyan, a preacher that's known for a book called The Pilgrim's Progress, he explains prayer like this. He describes it as a, a shield to the soul, a sacrifice to God, and a scourge for Satan. But that's not because prayer is some kind of amulet, ritual, or dark art that we wield spiritual power with. It is because prayer connects us with the one who shields our souls. It is the one, uh, uh, prayer connects us to the one who responds to our cries. Prayer connects us with the one who defends us against the enemy of his people. Prayer is not life. It is access to life. It is not what sustains us. It's what brings us to the one who sustains us. And you might be wondering, Eric, why are you pressing this point so much? What, why are you just camping out here? Well, I'll tell you. It's because some of us are either too scared to pray because we fear we're not using the right words. And there are others of us that are crushed under the guilt of prayer because there, there, there just seems to be a lot of suffering in our lives. And, and well, if that's what's happening, then we might not be praying right. We have not had enough faith or something is wrong with us. Or there's some secret sin that even we don't know about. And that's all holding us back in our prayers. It's making it ineffective. And if we, we just had the key, we could pray the right way and everything would be good. But I'll tell you right now that both of those ways of thinking are anti-gospel ways of praying. And I want us to be free in Christ. I want us to be free from the belief that suffering or hardship or difficult things in your life means that you are somehow praying wrong. And all of these things, all of these hard things, the Lord is making you look like Jesus. And praying reminds us and gives us the confidence in the one who promises to finish what he started. 
You don't have to figure out a special prayer combination to unlock his blessing, his will, or have true relationship with him. Christ has already unlocked the door and swung it wide open for everybody who has faith in him. Not everybody who figures out how to pray impressively. I want us to be free in Christ. To speak to God freely. Because Jesus died for us to be able to do this. Often I talk about prayer. It is a a blood-bought privilege. Hebrews 10 reminds us that we have confidence to enter the throne room of God to pray because Jesus opened the way back to him. You see, the gospel rejects the fear that we have to be good enough in order to pray as well as the belief that prayer has to be some kind of performance. The gospel says in Christ, we can approach the king boldly. That prayer is not a performance of a privilege that's available to every single person who confesses Jesus as Lord and Savior from the moment they confess Jesus as Lord and Savior. And when we don't even feel like we have the words and we're worried about what we should say, God has even given us a gift in his word. He's given us a gift of these old and faithful paths of prayer that show up in places like the Psalms or even in our text this morning. Old and faithful paths that shape us with words that that God has given us to pray. One pastor writes, we don't need to initiate prayers as much as we need to imitate the prayers that God has already given us. Like this prayer that we have in the next two verses. Jesus said to his disciples when they asked him to pray, When you pray, say this, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. Now many of us might know this prayer as the Lord's Prayer, or even the Our Father from Jesus' teaching on prayer in Matthew. But this prayer is not one that we have somehow stolen from Jesus and named for ourselves. It is a gift that Jesus gives us for us. It's probably better to call it the disciples' prayer because it is for disciples. He's answering a question, teach us to pray, and he gives them this prayer. This isn't a prayer necessarily that you have to recite, but it is something that helps. And the reason I could say something like this prayer is not necessarily something we have to recite is because there's another version of this prayer in Matthew And they don't match up one for one. But Jesus teaches on prayer. And these are the guidelines and the themes he gives us. This is a guide for the things we should be praying about. Now I'll tell you this. Philippians 4 tells us to bring everything to God in prayer. So this prayer doesn't tell us everything we should be praying for. That we're supposed to bring everything to God rather than letting the weight of our worries restrict us from the one whose burden is light. But this prayer does give us guidelines, things we can use, guideposts that shape us like a particular people. Prayers that, if I'm honest, is not typically the way that I pray. I'm pretty quick to say, God, I need this, or God, I need that, and God, I'm struggling with this. But that's not where this prayer starts. Let me show you what I mean. Jesus teaches his disciples, when he teaches them to pray, to address God as Father. It's a word that carries respect and intimacy all at the same time. That communicates tenderness and authority That in two syllables communicates the confidence that the one we're speaking to not only can do something about what we're about to say, but wants to do something about it. And my question, even thinking about that beginning of the prayer, is does that kind of confidence characterize the way that I pray? Does it characterize the way that you pray? What would it take for us to be confident like this? I might argue that the, the, the... A couple steps towards a better prayer life is not making sure that you have a good schedule, although that can be important, but, but the scriptures themselves. To read and reread and believe and remember to believe and experience and re-experience the God who is at his core, Father. Who does not sit back with arms crossed waiting for you to just say the right title so that he can glance in your direction. But his arms are open wide for us to run into. I'll say this. I, I, I don't know about anybody when they come home from work, but I love coming home from work at the end of the day. Not just because it means I get to relax or because I get to eat, although those are two very important things to me at that time of the day, but because every time I come through that door, and I mean every single time I come through that door, I am met with two giggles and two screams and two squeals at the top of their lungs that daddy is home. And my girls don't need to make sure that they say, oh, most important father of mine, we are glad you have come back from work. They don't need to wait patiently. They don't need to form a line so that I get to them in order. I get down on the ground and I am tackled with giggles and kisses and squeals and I love it. 
but I'm also imperfect. And there are times where I come home and I'm impatient. And I need to work on that. If I'm like that with my girls, even in my sin and even in my impatience and still love that, how much more do you think the Father reacts to you? That you don't have to figure out some way to approach him and make sure that, okay, I've got all my ducks in a row and I'm going to start my prayer like this. Eric started his prayer on Sunday like this, so I'm going to say the same words and I'm going to... That he gets down on the ground with his arms open wide and waits for you to tackle him. Do we think about God like that? I got to admit that that is an unusual way to think about God, but I do question even this week as I was thinking about that, why is that so unusual for me? It's because I struggle with picturing God as Father. Jesus continues his teaching on prayer after getting this intimate but respectful address of Father by, by two statements that communicate both holiness and hope. His first statement he gives, hallowed be your name, is, I'll translate for you because I don't know how many of you use this word, hallowed, in your day, but it's in effect a declaration that God would be seen as and worshipped as and glorified as holy, as unique, as completely other from us. And part of the reason I think Jesus starts here is to help us see how mind-bending it is that this God who is holy, who is holy other than us, how mind-bending it is that he responds to us, that he engages with us, that he enters into this world for us. This completely holy and transcendent God who is higher than us comes to us and loves us and serves us and wants to be in relationship with us. That's the God we're praying to, a holy God who actually talks back to the people that are praying to him. The second statement communicates hope. Because this holy God is not just interacting with us here and now, but his kingdom is coming. His kingdom where everything will, will one day be made right. God will return and make everything right again. His kingdom of complete and true justice and righteousness and peace and everything good will be established on this earth and he will rule as the true king. This is where we start with in prayer. We start with the intimacy of worship, calling God our Father, but we continue with our eyes firmly fixed on Him in holiness and in hope. And all this before we get to the three requests in the rest of this prayer. And like I said, how often do we neglect the first part of this prayer in our conversations with the Lord? This isn't about making sure you say three nice things about God before you ask Him for something. I'm not saying that you have to get, in, to get this all in the right order. What I'm saying is that this kind of mindset needs to be in our prayers somehow, some way. We have to have clear priorities because we honor God for who he is, not what he gives. When we do that, when we honor God for who he is and not what he gives, we actually get into the right frame of mind, the right heart to understand what he gives to understand how he gives it and when he gives it. It is only when we honor God for who he is can we properly grasp what he gives. If we get the order wrong, at least in our priorities, then we get into all sorts of trouble believing that when we don't get what we ask for in the particular way that we asked for it, then that should mean that God is deficient in some particular way. He's either not good enough, he's not wise enough, he's not righteous enough, he's not kind enough, he's not powerful enough, he can't even give it to me, he's not whatever enough. Or we fall on the other side of the cliff and believe we are, def we are deficient in some way, that we have not done enough or, or asked enough or said the right words. We have to grasp who God is before we can understand what God gives as he intends for us to understand it. It matters who we think God is and who we think we are. That God is Father, holy, and his kingdom is actually coming. That we are his children. We are made holy by a sacrifice. We are kingdom citizens even now as we await that kingdom and it is out of that reality that we ask, that we actually ask. We ask that Jesus taught us to ask. Would you give us and forgive us and lead us not? Give us what we need when we need it as you define our need, God. Forgive us for all the ways in which we have sinned against you, rebelled against you. And we ask not as those who are trying to get forgiveness, but as those who have already experienced forgiveness and share it with others. Not demanding, but because we know what you are like. You are a forgiving and gracious and compassionate God that we only need to ask and you have already made a way in Jesus. 
And as such, we ask you that you would not lead us into temptation, that you would help us to avoid situations where we even need to ask for forgiveness. These are the requests that follow understanding who God is and who we are before him. Kingdom Kingdom people are people that pray this kind of prayer, prayer that acknowledges how desperately we need God. When was the last time you really thought about how much you needed God? In physical needs, in relational needs, and in spiritual needs. Too often we so focus on the spiritual needs. Jesus needs to save my soul. But you realize that none of us would be here if God decided we would stop breathing right now. That you wouldn't be getting a paycheck if God decided you wouldn't get a paycheck. That you get a paycheck and those blessings because God has decided in his goodness and in his sovereignty to give those things to you. Not because you earned them. These requests altogether remind us that as we ask, we are the needy people of a God of abundance who provides for all of our needs. Because like elsewhere in scripture, he is the God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. It's all his in the first place. And he loves us enough to give it to us in all kinds of ways. Jesus teaches his disciples to pray like family. Learn to pray like this, to the perfect Father who is holy and is on his way to make things right. And as we wait and as we hope, we know that he provides for every single one of our needs. So we ask that he will provide for every single one of our needs. We pray like we just woke up our dad at midnight, mid-conversation, without any chance or need to whisper, knowing that he delights to give us what we ask for in his wisdom and according to his timing. Learn to pray like your family. But in order to do that, Jesus actually takes a moment. He doesn't really let up the, the, the teaching so that the disciples can ask questions. He takes a moment and he tells a parable of contrast. Because if disciples are going to learn to pray like family, then disciples need to understand what kind of father made this family. Disciples need to trust the father's heart. A father that we don't need to wake up at midnight because he never sleeps. How does Jesus make this contrast? We'll look at the story in verses 5 through 8. Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. The host in this moment doesn't have a a, a Walmart or a Jewel or a Fiesta Market to get to to buy food for this traveler that just showed up at their house. He's to fix a problem in this shame and honor culture that that he's trying to avoid shame of not being able to provide for this traveler's needs. And he has two choices when he opens his pantry and it's empty. Option A is either wake up a neighbor who might have bread, and option two is suffer the shame of bad hospitality. Clearly in the story, he chooses option A. He decides to run to his neighbor's house at midnight, in the silence and in the dark. And break the silence mid-conversation And a family that's asleep, you can imagine how this family responds. Actually, you don't have to imagine because Jesus tells us, suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. Translation, go away. The door's already locked. My children are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. The angry whispers meet this friend on the other side of the door. The door is bolted. I finally got my kids to bed. Dude, you are on your own. I don't know if you guys have ever put kids to bed, but it is mission impossible. Jocelyn and I do everything in our house to make sure, crazy things in our house to make sure that our house does not ruin bedtime for us. I mean, WD-40 all the hinges, clear a path through all the toys before we put the girls to bed, turn off all the lights, sing until the last thing out of the door is our head, so that's what they're hearing as they fall asleep into their dreams and hopefully stay asleep in their dreams. I'm tiptoeing around, a grown man tiptoeing around his house because I got my girls to sleep and there's nothing that I'm going to let wake them up. And this dude, this dude is screaming through a door? Nah, man, you are on your own. I can't get up. It's not my fault you didn't have food prepared. Jesus continues his parable. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity... Oh, I love those words. Your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. This annoying neighbor is not getting what he asked because they're good friends. He's getting what he asked because he's shameless. He is rude. He is sinvergüenza if you speak Spanish. I'm imagining a groggy yet 
angry man shoving bread into this guy's arms while, while his kids are around him and their eyes are getting brighter because they're awake and kids aren't going back to sleep. Why would you do that? And this man's cheeks are red and embarrassed, but he's breathing a sigh of relief because he's got the thing he asked for. This parabolic world starts to close, but Jesus' question lingers in the air. You see, this whole parable of Jesus tells a, a scenario with a subtle and implicit point. The scenario, imagine you're a rude neighbor with the nerve to bang on your doors, your neighbor's door at midnight looking for bread, and even though he refuses, he gives it to you, not because you're friends, but because you're rude. If this is how humans respond to rude friends, how do you think God will respond to his people? This is the point of Jesus' story. The point of application, not be rude and annoy God because he's asleep and you've got to wake him up and your request is inconvenient, but if you just wear him down enough, he will give you what you ask him for. Not wear God down, but trust God's heart. Trust the heart of the Father, the one who is never asleep and doesn't give out of annoyance, but out of abundance. Be bold in your prayer, not because God needs to be convinced, but because you already are convinced that he is a good father, your good father. Because you are convinced of his heart. This is the prayer of a disciple who believes, truly believes Jesus' words in the very next chapter of Luke. Where Jesus commands his disciples, do not worry about, what you, about your life, what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear. Life is more than food, the body's more than clothes. I mean, after all, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to their life? Don't set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Don't worry about it. That doesn't mean don't do it. Don't work and try to provide. It says don't worry about it, for the pagan world runs after all such things, and your Father knows that you need them. God is not oblivious to our needs, because he's God, and he doesn't really need to eat, so he's like, oh, you need to, oh, I forgot, i got to feed you. Like I do with my dog every morning, and my wife's like, did you feed him? I did not feed him. Um, God, doesn't, God knows what we need, and he provides what we need in his timing, and in his sovereignty, and in his wisdom. Seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Don't wring your hand, hands or go down the spiral of what-if scenarios about your needs. Worry doesn't provide solutions. It's the Father who provides solutions. The Father who knows exactly what we need and provides it. We are called to pursue what we need more than anything, which is His kingdom, and He will give us everything we need to get there. He knows what we need and He provides. Even and especially when we don't think He's giving what we think we need. When we look around and life is hard, and God, you, you, you see my bank account, right, God? You see how frustrated I am with my little ones. You see the umpteenth time something has broken in this house that I thought you gave us. You see how I'm being treated at work. Even when we don't think he sees and knows what we need, he is a good father. Trust his heart. Trust that he hears you and that he responds. That he is your father, that, he, that you are his son, his daughter, that you will be heard. Well, I don't know about you, but knowing that I'm heard changes the way that I pray. There's a different tone, a, a different boldness, a different vulnerability, a different feel to my prayers. Not because I have to figure out some kind of secret formula, but because I'm trusting the father's heart to pray like I'm family. I'm not praying to the wall. I'm praying to a God who actually hears me. And responds in his wisdom and his timing. And I've got to trust him even when I can't see all the things that he's doing. And praying like family is bold and it's respectful and it's messy and it's real and it's true. And it is so much better uh, getting an answer than getting an answer out of annoyance from a friend in a parable. Which is why in the last few verses of this section, Jesus teaches us what it means to actually expect God's answer. A good answer. We need to learn to pray with right priorities and a right relationship. We also need to trust the Father's heart if we're going to be in that relationship, if we're going to truly pray. But an important part of trusting the Father's heart and learning to pray is expecting a good answer. Good as defined by God, not by us. But still, really and truly, expecting an answer. Look at the repetition of the next two verses. I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be open. Jesus invites us to pray, ask. He invites us to pursue God in prayer, seek. 
And he invites us to, to enter into the presence of God in prayer. Knock. Because God gives, reveals, and opens the door wide for his people. Pray, believing that God will respond. Not just believing, but I'm going to be so bold as saying, expecting him to respond. Because he has said he would. Not how you think he should, but as he in his wisdom has decided to respond and believe that he is responding in the best way possible. Trust the Father's heart. To drive this point home, I want you to look at the rest of our text. Jesus really presses on this. He says, which of you fathers, if your son comes up, asks for a fish, will give him a snake. Or asks for an egg, gives him a scorpion. If you fathers, though you're evil, you're sinners, you're, you're, you're not perfect, you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father, your Father in heaven, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Listen, Jesus says, which of you who, who would look at your child and who's asking for something good and necessary, they're hungry. And not only deny them food, but actually give them something dangerous. Reverse their request and, and give them something evil. None of you would do that, and, and you're not perfect. But if you humans, sinful as you are, know how to give good gifts when your kids ask, what about the sinless and perfect God? What about our Father in heaven? How much better will he be to his kids? The question is, do we actually believe this? i got to admit, some of us might find this hard to believe because we think it's a little too intimate to treat God as Father. The Jewish people, when Jesus starts using Father in his prayers, get a little bit nervous about this. Or some of us might be struggling because the picture that we have of Father is not a good picture. And so all of a sudden we see God like our earthly fathers when what we should be doing is seeing our earthly fathers through the picture of God and seeing how they don't match up to the perfect one. God is a good dad who wants to give good gifts to his kids, even if your dad did not give you good gifts. How many of us come to God expecting him to be angry, condemning and wagging his finger at us, listing all the ways in which we have disappointed him? How many of us come to God and don't ask for what we think we need because we're embarrassed or we think it's unspiritual to ask? Too embarrassed to ask him to provide even when, when the paycheck to paycheck cycle doesn't stretch far enough into this month with an extra week who puts an extra week in a month or to ask for encouragement at the end of a discouraging day week or even a pandemic year that somehow decided to be a longer year than 12 months how many of us think we can't ask him to help when we when we just we don't want to read the bible because it feels boring to us or it puts us to sleep or we feel like we can't ask him to teach us to pray because we somehow should be further along in, in reading our bibles and praying and any other thing we think we should know by now but that's not how disciples pray disciples pray like we're family expecting an answer a good answer from our good father Trusting that is good because we trust in the Father's heart. So what can disciples expect from God? Jesus tells us, not just anything. God, it's not just that God provides the things that we need, food and clothes and shelters, but the Holy Spirit himself. Why is that so much better? Because pastor, like, Holy Spirit doesn't feel like he's going to pay my bills. Why is that so much better? Because what God is promising his people in this moment is that the Holy Spirit will be with them wherever they go. That they can have calm in the face of chaos. That they can depend on Him to know what they need and whatever comes before them is exactly what they need in that moment. To be able to see every situation that you're about to step into as good because it is from His hand, even if the thing around you is not good because it is hard and people are hurting. We trust the Father's heart. We trust that as we step into that moment because we have the Holy Spirit with us, that God is stepping in with us. You have not been left alone. And that somehow, some way, God is going to use you in this moment to love and serve the people that you are around. And somehow, some way, the Lord is going to use the people around you to love and serve you in ways that you can't imagine, in ways that you don't understand, in ways that you can't even ask for. That's why the Holy Spirit is so much better than just getting all of our uh, uh, food and, and, and making sure that we get a, $100 a day or whatever it is that we ask for. God, God gives good gifts to his children, the good gift of his Holy Spirit. And sometimes when we ask, we think that this all-powerful, all-knowing God is, is, is too big to be asked, too powerful, too great to be approached. I mean, he knows everything, so why should I tell him? Why should I ask him anything? He already knows. Why should I bother him? 
the reality of God's greatness as we understand it in this passage is not that God is distant, but that he is near. That he is gentle, that he is kind, that he is close to us, that he cares about us. And if we, we really believed that, we would be bold and vulnerable and real. And, 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 and in our approach to God, we would actually approach him like he's our dad. Not thinking that we have to have it all together, but coming to the one that is the only one that's able to put it all together for us. Knowing that we need to come to him. Praying like this is about more than just praying according to the right guidelines and making sure you have the right way of doing things. It's about being a kingdom citizen who aligns our lives to his will, who is about his honor and his holiness and holds on to him in hope and asks for what we need spiritually, physically, and relationally. It is prayer that changes us whether or not it changes our circumstances. And all the while we believe that God is good and that whatever happens, whether our circumstances change or not, it is best and for our good, somehow, some way in his wisdom. And that's hard. But that's how disciples pray. Because when disciples pray, we pray like family. Pray like children addressing our father. My kids don't always know why it is we do the things that we do. Why they can't just play in the street. It's so much bigger than the sidewalk, Dad. I don't understand. Look what I can... We pray trusting our Father even if we don't understand what He's doing. Our good Father who gives good gifts to His children, the good gift of the Holy Spirit to those who ask. We ask, we seek, we knock, not like a rude neighbor at midnight, but like children who know that their Father never sleeps, never gets tired, never gets annoyed, always listens, always responds, and is always for us, and is always trying to make us look more like Jesus, which is best for us. We, we pray like family because we are family, because in Christ we have been made family. And if you're wondering what it looks like to do that, I'll practically and maybe a little shamelessly say, come to prayer night in a few days. Come pray with us. Come learn to pray together with us. Trust the Father's heart together with us. Even if you don't have the words. Even if you're worried about what it might look like. This is family. Come, learn to pray, trust the Father's heart, and expect a good answer as we celebrate his faithfulness and anticipate what he's going to do. I, I always struggle with sermons on prayer most often because they don't actually give us a chance to put into practice what we've just learned. I'm not here just to fill your head so that you just know more about prayer. Which is why I planned it so that you would have a chance to exercise what we just learned. Very strategic of me, I might add but more from my own soul because I just have to do the thing that I said we should do. But you also don't have to wait until Wednesday to pray. Take the prayer of, that, that Jesus teaches his disciples and pray it every day this week. If you could just pray the words, pray the words. Or take every single one of them and, and, and engage. Father, I'm really struggling to see you as Father right now. Help me to see you as Father. I know you're holy, but... I'm looking at my life and I don't see how I, I demonstrate that holiness. Help me to do that. Help me to see that. Help me to trust your kingdom coming when it seems like my kingdom is falling apart around me. Help me to act like this is your kingdom and not my kingdom. Give us, give me what you know I need, not what I think I need. Forgive me for the ways that I rebel against you and help me to forgive others. Lead me not into temptation so that I don't have to ask for forgiveness. Lead me away. Lead, lead me away from death and into life. You don't have to pray the words exactly. You also don't have to get super spiritual. Practice. Let's pray together this Wednesday. Pray each day. But I'm also going to ask something a little bit different because I'm also going to pray long here at the end of it. Sorry. Not sorry. But I want us to stand and pray together like we're family. That's not rhetorical. I want us to stand and pray together like we're family. Now, this is COVID, so I can't necessarily in good conscience ask you all to hold your hands, but I do want you to look at other people around this room. I want you to make eye contact. I know it's weird. It's going to be awkward, but we're family. Make eye contact. As we pray here, we're praying with siblings, praying with aunties and uncles in the faith. We're praying with abuelitos and abuelitas in Christ because God has made us family together. Would you pray with me? Father, you have made us into your children. You have done something that I 
In your wisdom, I don't even know how to understand you. I put so many different people together and called them family. And this morning, we approach you as that, that, that mismatched family that is only mismatched from a human perspective because you have matched us together perfectly in Christ. Boldly and enjoy without any sort of barrier between us because Jesus took care of that. We knock this morning knowing that you will open the door to us because Jesus made a way back to you. Would you make your name holy among us? Would our lives as familia in Christ be a shining testimony to your holiness? Would you mark us as people who worship a holy God and are made holy by you? We know your kingdom is coming and we are grateful that even now you have made us into a local outpost of new creation life, of your your kingdom here in Streamwood. But Lord, we confess that there are so often ways that we we don't believe your kingdom is coming, whether practically or even in our words. We're worried. Are we going to make it to the end? So Lord, we pray this morning that we declare that we seek your kingdom, your ways, and your rule to be on full display in our lives here. And we confess all the ways that we mess that up and we trust you by your spirit to work in us. We seek knowing and expecting to find you. So holy and hopeful, we ask you to provide for us. Provide for us what you know we need, our daily bread. Give us what you know in our wisdom to be necessary and good for us, for our bodies, for our minds. Forgive us, not because we need to be saved again, but because we are still growing in our relationship with you and our reflection of your holiness. We confess that we are still tempted and we still sin and we need your forgiveness, but we also declare that as your forgiven people, we want to be forgiving people. So help us to continue to forgive those who sin against us, like you forgive us whenever we sin against you, with compassion and grace and mercy. And as we ask for your forgiveness, lead us away from temptation. Lead us away from sin and towards you. We know that apart from you, we can do nothing, and so we acknowledge not only that we need you to provide for us spiritually, but physically and relationally. We are not strong enough to resist sin apart from the good gift of your Holy Spirit. And so we ask that you will lead us not into temptation. We ask knowing that you will give, expecting you to give according to your riches and wisdom, because that's what you say you'll do. We thank you for the good gift of your Holy Spirit, and we pray you would continue to shape us as people of prayer. Teach us to pray, not for prayer's sake, but for our sake and for the sake of our relationship with you. We love you, and we trust you, Father. And as we sing and approach your table with communion this morning. Remind us why we love and trust you. Because you loved us first and you demonstrated your faithfulness to us all the way to the cross and through the resurrection to promise us new life. Amen.